Alright, welcome back to another episode of The World According to Us. Um, I'll have to apologize first and foremost for not having done one of these in a couple of months, I guess. Um, It's been a difficult uh, past several weeks, and um, I haven't really necessarily been in the right headspace to reflect and share some thoughts so here we go it's um juneteenth 2021 it's a saturday afternoon and um i've been doing a little reflecting on the latest news and updates since uh i did my actual uh vaccination and um well (laughs) once again I have some news. I'm just, I don't know. Things seem pretty much in flux. The sequence of events, what we hear in mainstream media, what the constant bombardment of uh, the news cycle says with regards to industries and economies opening back up now because we're approaching the beginning of summer in the next two days. And the fact that they say... 70% of New York City has received some form of vaccination, either a full or one, at least one dose of the vaccine. Of the three vaccines that are presently available, uh, let's see, we have Pfizer, you have Moderna, and you have Johnson & Johnson. Um, I received personally Johnson & Johnson, only to find out a couple of weeks later that it was put on a pause because... They had cases of women who had either blood clots or died from having received the vaccine. So to study this, because of course they always tell us no corners were cut. Uh, The due diligence, the clinical trials were ongoing for months and months prior to its rollout, which again will beg the question. If this was not planned... If the uh, dismembering or disbandment of the actual task force that was in place prior to Trump becoming president, who was responsible for, uh, I guess it was a panel of experts on disease and uh, global pandemic planning, what they would do in the case of an actual global pandemic... How is it, if we follow the sequence of events, the timeline, that we go from the news breaking the story that in China, in Wuhan, supposedly, allegedly, the COVID-19 disease was discovered among people after having been consumed in a wet market of bat soup. Or at least that's what was the official narrative at the time. Then we find out, or at least we're told that there's a doctor there in Wuhan who is breaking the news and has been arrested by Chinese authorities for telling the public that there is a deadly virus that is plaguing and spreading in the city of Wuhan. And basically it's another form of SARS or coronavirus. This doctor dies two weeks after that news 
but the word is out. So quickly, the narrative is shifting from what the doctor is saying, what uh, the Chinese government and media outlets are saying, to kind of quell and, and, and stem the fears that this disease is, is not only spreading amongst their city and citizens, but is actually spreading globally. Which begs the question again, if China knew that this deadly virus, this highly infectious and contagious virus, this outbreak was occurring, why would they not stop their citizens from traveling abroad to other countries where they could possibly infect those populations? Unless, of course, it was part of a, a global plan. What if it was actually planned? Biological warfare. Um, there are some of us who probably do not believe that there are conspiracies or government uh, plots against the public at large or that there are no depopulation think tanks out there who would actually use an event such as this one to destabilize economies, countries, regions while killing off millions and millions of people at the same time, potentially. Right now, we're in a state of confusion as to what to believe. Um, next point of order would be the news, the mainstream media saying that. Um, well, I can't even say necessarily it's mainstream media. You would have some of that and you'd have some social media people who would be saying, no, in fact, this isn't correct, that it did not come from bats and bat soup in a wet market in Wuhan, but that it actually was leaked from a Wuhan biological laboratory, a laboratory that Dr. Fauci himself is linked to. These companies, these labs, have scientists, doctors, experts, companies, corporations linked to them that hold patents on the actual biological uh, specimens or samples that they have that they study and bioengineer. Personally, now I can't say I can prove it, but I lean more towards believing that it's more likely than not that this coronavirus was bioengineered and deliberately released upon the public. Because like a lot of things that we've seen and we don't fully understand, there is a psychological warfare or pre-op that goes on before something is carried out where you herd people into a, a state of mind and you get a predictable reaction, which they call problem, reaction, solution. Um, if we think that, let's say hypothetically, what is possible? Is it possible coronavirus 19 was not only samples taken of it, but then it was actually manipulated in labs and engineered to be more virulent and then deliberately released into the public, into the population centers where you knew a lot of uh, Chinese nationals would be traveling abroad to Europe, to the United States and to all over the world where this highly contagious disease, some of them, they may not even know that they were infected, but it would be spreading amongst those populations. Not only that, but you would have 
a framework of research already in the books, already in the works where you could have a vaccine waiting. Think about it. If you have a disease that you've manufactured that you can also have the cure for or the treatment or whatever you want to call it today, let's use the word vaccine and you have a patent on a vaccine and you have governments clamoring for a vaccine to combat this highly contagious, highly infectious disease that is ravaging their populations, that has caused them to shut down businesses and economies, anything that has to deal with people socially interacting and being in close uh, quarters, indoor or outdoor. Wouldn't it make sense then to say, okay, you give us what we need to give you what you want, which is a vaccine in a speedy time frame, but we don't want to be held liable if anything goes wrong. You want total immunity, but you also receive a blank check in terms of funding for research, for rollout, and for the actual product the pharmaceutical companies are going to produce. How many doses? Not only that, you're going to have built into it a media machine and propaganda agenda where you're pushing into the public uh, ethosphere. The notion that everybody must receive this experimental vaccine or shot because that is going to save all the citizens, all the people by and large across the world by doing so. And at the same time, vilify people who refuse and reject that and say that they're selfish and say that they're only thinking about themselves. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people who do have that mindset that no matter what, even if you prove to them, even if it was shown that it was safe and effective and had no adverse side effects or little to no adverse side effects because of track record, because of history, people are going to be apprehensive about accepting and putting something in their bodies where they have no idea what it's going to do to them. Not only that, you couple that with the fact that you have people, the same ones who are producing it, themselves not taking it, claiming that they don't want to quote unquote jump the line. What would make them feel that it was necessary to mass produce an experimental vaccine that they themselves would not take to show to the public that it's actually safe. So that's, I mean, we need an answer to that question. Why would you say everybody should take this vaccine, but if it does anything to you, we're not liable. You cannot bring a, a lawsuit, class action or otherwise, for at least the next four years. Why would the governments agree to that? Is that in the best interest of the public at large? Or is it actually a willful and deliberate design to protect large multinational billion dollar corporations from being held accountable for anything that they do to us as a human being? I don't know. These are things that we need to uh, consider. Mm -hmm.
addition to that, we have now um, a lot of people who are basically, and let's not just, uh, I'm not just going to keep it to the south, southern states because we had it up here in the north too. A lot of people who are at a certain point over the pandemic and over wearing masks and the confusion of it, where first they said, don't wear masks. And then Trump, of course, blew that up and said, don't wear masks. I don't want to wear masks. I don't want to spread fear. But he knew through his own recordings and his own statements that it was deadly. It was airborne. Which brings us to the question of if it's airborne, how effective were the masks? I don't know how effective it was or wasn't. Um, They said stuff about vapor or water droplets or proximity of them or how they travel. If it's in the air and we're breathing it in, we're breathing it in. I know a lot of people who uh, contracted coronavirus. Some of them have very, very um, bad uh, bouts of it. And then eventually they pull through. And some of them who still have symptoms from it, like not having uh, their sense of smell or taste. And some who actually received the vaccine and their sense of smell and taste returned. So you have a mixed bag and mixed messaging because if we were to abide by the basic principles of wear a mask and then it became not just wear one mask but wear two masks and social distance and washing of the hands and doorknobs and you know on and on and on things that are basically common sense that we should do but we know there's a lot of people who are nasty and who don't and would not follow and don't care and don't care about other people and would deliberately do whatever they were doing prior to the pandemic such as not washing hands, such as not covering their mouths when they sneezed or coughed, um, you know, deliberately smearing their bio hazards on uh, doorknobs or rails or elevator buttons or whatever the case may be. Um, it just, all of that taken into uh, account, you had people fed up and saying, okay, uh, this cannot stay indefinite unemployment and then the vilifying of people who lost their jobs or or were forced through no fault of their own out of a job onto unemployment and then vilified and made it to appear as because they gave enhanced payments where you would have an additional 600 initially a week on top of your weekly benefits that that somehow meant that the average person was making out like a fat cat like the multinational billion dollar companies and corporations who got blank check bailouts at the same time while small businesses were shuttering and being destroyed due to the shutdown of the economy I mean there it is so much to unpack through all of this and the impact of it globally and, and financially is like are we or will the, the world community ever hold China accountable for this some people say, oh, you can't even say that. And because that would essentially be a third rail. Um, it'd be the equivalent of uh, some sort of uh, discrimination or anti-Asian sentiment because you point out the fact of where they say it came from. If it came from China, it came from China. And there's some culpability there for all of the global damage wrought because of it. But I doubt... China is going to be held responsible. They're too powerful economically and politically now. 
not to mention militarily. So here we are looking at picking up the pieces and trying to move forward. And it's it's interesting what's not being said and, and these things not being brought up whenever they're discussing it. All they talk about now in the news is rate of infection, uh, rate of hospitalizations, deaths per day, um, new infections. Um, if people are vaccinated or the ones who maybe had coronavirus and the antibodies, how long it lasts in their system. Now, we've been told that um, you have all of these variant strains coming from different regions also, that it's, it's mutating so quickly. And then, I mean, I'm not, not to say that it's not possible. Sure, it's anything is possible. But how likely is it? How likely is it that it would mutate that quickly amongst different populations? How likely is it that your antibodies, once you're exposed, fade away within two, three months? I mean, just going from what I understood and what I learned in, in school, in biology, when you got antibodies, they did not disappear, regardless of whatever it was you were supposed to. You did not have antibodies and they just uh, magically disappeared within three months or six months or even a year. Historically, most vaccines, they would take anywhere between four to ten years to produce. And typically, you wouldn't need a booster for at least four to ten years in between. Uh, this whole notion of, well, this vaccine is now essentially a f- like the flu shot, that SARS is a form of the flu, or it's a variant of the flu strain. So therefore, you should be getting shots every year. Number one, there's a financial incentive in that. And it's not actually, I don't think it's scientific-based, because just like with the common cold, the common cold, they say you can never have the actual uh, variant of strain because every year it changes supposedly so therefore because of its constant changing you'll never have the current year strain but at least it will make the the severity of the symptoms uh, less this is the argument therefore using that same argument you would apply that to coronavirus and you would say well we're not going to have the necessary strain that that is uh, affecting people currently but whatever we do have, it will be effective enough to mitigate any symptoms from it. And therefore, it's worth you injecting yourself year in and year out. Now, I'm going to tell you personally, I've never taken a flu shot. Not once. I've had the flu a few times in my life, but never to the point of death or being hospitalized. Now, some people, maybe their immune systems are, are weaker or, or compromised due to whatever a uh, situation they personally had and some people have died from the flu i'm not saying that there haven't been deaths from that but by and large i don't believe that everybody needs to be taking flu shots i think sometimes we have to think that our creator gave us an immune system for a reason and injecting foreign substances that are man-made in labs into our bodies bypassing our natural immune system may may not be the best course of action or option to take And I say that in full reflection of having taken this coronavirus experimental uh, vaccine and basically becoming a guinea pig because you have an overwhelming pressure from society saying that if you want things to return to normal, this is what you have to do in order for that to take place. Your freedoms of movement, of travel, of employment, all of those things being linked to accepting Somebody jabbing some foreign substance in your arm. Meanwhile, 
giving blanket immunity to the corporations that produce it. So you have a big conflict of interest there. And I don't blame anybody who says, I don't think I want to take that that chance or that risk, or I want to wait and see. Now, for me, I told you in my last episode that I did end up changing my mind, that you know information changes, so you live and you learn, which is true. But it seems that the more we go along, the more we start to discover that certain things were not necessarily true that we were being told or bombarded with in the commercials and advertisements. Then we have these these doctors, uh, Dr. Choke, uh, what's the Chokesy or whoever, the city's uh, doctor, and they're, they're all day long telling us how they're safe and effective and that they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And yet and still, if that's really true, why didn't they know about these blood clots with Johnson & Johnson? And these, in some of these cases, these deaths. Why didn't they know about the, the potential hazard that it could cause for people who are, or women who are becoming pregnant or would be pregnant to be affected in adverse ways by it? Because, again, you didn't really do any trials on them until just now recently they're starting to do it. And then this immediate push for uh, uh, applications for emergency use authorizations from the FDA, which, again can be bought and, and sold. And that is the public's trust in a government institution, or excuse me, a institution that's perceived as government or authoritative on whether or not something is safe for the public and for the public consumption. Now, if you have companies and corporations that are influencing whoever's on the board of the FDA in their decisions as to what gets approved and doesn't, or if the FDA itself is saying... We don't approve of it, but strictly for the purpose of an emergency use, we are going to say this can be given as, uh, on a massive scale only in the case of as an emergency. It begs the question, well, why wouldn't you just approve it? Why does it have to be an emergency use then? And if that's the case that you're concerned that the healthcare workers, the frontline workers of, of countries and nations... Um, would go down if they got infected with it and they're dealing with sick patients in the hospitals and it's neglectful and evil, then I would say, then why wouldn't that be the first course of action to say, no, 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 we're not going to say force this on the public, but we want to make sure that if you're a healthcare worker, maybe you should be the one to be receiving that vaccine first. And how come you have people who are saying, well, I'm not taking it as first responders, as the first line of defense. I don't want to inject that in my body. And I know I'm taking care of patients, but I'm going to do all my due diligence and protocols of safety and covering and masking and gloving up and sterilization. But I don't want to inject that foreign substance into my body because, again, the FDA has not approved it except for as an emergency use. You see, talking to people in corporate settings, I've, I've heard people say, Oh, no, no, you do have, you have some people in, in Texas, some nurses and doctors who are refusing to take it, and the courts are ruling against them, and it's good that they're ruling against them because they're dealing with public patients, and they should be vaccinated. Well, again, it would be, to me, it would depend on whether or not we have enough information to verify that it's actually safe for those healthcare workers to be taking it, and that's a personal choice. Um, yeah, sure. If you have a family member who's in a hospital, you don't want them exposed to somebody who could potentially be carrying it. 
You don't. But at the same time, how how are we going to feel if the person who is supposedly taking care of your loved one ends up getting an adverse reaction and dying from being injected with something that you do really don't have enough information about? You know, it's a slippery slope. And then think about it long term. If you're now linking a person's employment to taking vaccines, you're now coercing people basically to take something against their will. Out goes the window uh, um, freedom. Choice. Right? Because you're now you're saying livelihood depends on you accepting what a corporation whose real sole purpose is to make money and profits wants. And if they say, we want you to take this drug or else you can't work for us, then a lot of people are going to say, well, maybe they're going to be out of a job. Or some people will say, I can't afford to lose this job and be forced to take something they don't want to. I think that's an evil uh, situation. And it's difficult, especially when it comes to healthcare and healthcare workers. So I, I don't know what we should do in that regard. But I don't think that um, we should have rules and policies impacting people's uh, employment strictly based off of an experimental drug or vaccine that, again, has not been approved by the FDA. It's only been given an emergency use authorization. So if you are a person who... Think about it. All these pro-athletes who've come down with coronavirus and the media was making sure that we knew about it every day if they're not vaccinated but have been exposed to coronavirus and recover from coronavirus on their own remember not overwhelming the hospitals not overwhelming the emergency rooms um building up antibodies to it testing negative a few weeks after the exposure and going through all of whatever the symptoms may be, why would you mandate that they have to take a vaccine? Right? Because remember, the vaccine is supposed to do what? Exactly what your immune system does. It gets a response to this foreign invading substance. It creates antibodies to combat it and eventually fights it off. And you recover. Or if you're in a population that is not uh, as healthy or you're immunocompromised, unfortunately, and you pass away, that's an, an unfortunate uh, effect or cause of it. But I don't think we know even fully if the treatments or the options that they give people who once they enter a hospital in coronavirus um, are actually the right course of action. So far, all we've heard is that once you end up on a ventilator, you're pretty much dead. So what do we know about the courses of treatment that they're giving to these patients, if that's the right course of action, is the vaccine so effective and so safe that it's uh, actually stopping the spread, really truly stopping it, or is it natural or a combination thereof? I don't know. But I know as we go along, as the, the economy reopens, we're going to find out. We have people who are fully vaccinated, such as myself and, and others who we took that leap of faith. I'm not judging anybody who still refuses to take it, you know, 
Because, again, that is a personal choice. And we're just in a pretty much a wait-and-see period. But for all the businesses who have been affected, who are so looking forward to, and I know New York City is definitely looking forward to the full reopening, getting uh, all of these businesses back up, people back to work, uh, traveling again, not just being stuck in the house or limited. Or, and then think about this, too, how it's transformed the workplace now. Now we have it where people, some of them who were transitioned to working from home or working remote, jobs are saying, oh, we don't necessarily need office space like that anymore because we can have remote workers or force them to, not necessarily force them, but have them working from home or from wherever. What about people who don't want to work from home, who actually like getting out of the house, getting away from family, being productive, doing something else? You know, it's amazing. This this one pandemic has exposed so much and as an underbelly to this pandemic the other pandemic that's been raging which i think i'll i'll dive into in the next episode which will be the pandemic of racism globally anti-black sentiment and this new narrative of anti-Asian aggressions uh, rising so much so that that comes in front of anti-black racism. It's really amazing (laughs) to see the narrative shift and the focus shift from George Floyd, from Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, so many others, Tatiana Jefferson, and on and on, Botham Jean, Andrew Brown. I mean, the list goes beyond numbers, beyond what we can even recall. It's too many. And yet, that is now being forgotten just as quickly as people will start to forget about the pandemic once they start to return to quote-unquote normal. I think that we have a lot of uh, dark days ahead. Even though the sun is coming out, even though we're having the heat of summer approaching us, the smell of barbecue, the sense of independence. <laughs> America is something else. America has been exposed through this pandemic and beyond and through social media. And so we have narratives on multiple fronts to focus on. With Governor Cuomo and his scandals and then uh, the outgoing mayor de Blasio who's going to take up those reins once those two are out of office um, and lead New York City and New York State going forward especially with what's going to come afterwards in terms of legislation and policy and how this pandemic is going to affect us and affect future generations going forward that's something to see um I don't know, 3 billion doses supposedly going to be ready by this time next year, globally, so where would that be, just a little bit less than half the world population to be uh, vaccinated or have enough doses to do that, Um, and then you don't forget about the people who don't want to have the vaccine, and I think that that portion of the population, a lot of them are going to fight and should fight. I think that that's a healthy discourse to have, to say, 
I get to choose what I do and, and what I put in my body or don't put in my body. Now, what comes along with that also, though, would be tied to, again, policies of uh, public and private industries. So, for example, if they're saying, if you want to go to sporting events, events, or if you want to go to the movies, or if you want to go to restaurants or other places, and they have a policy of you must be vaccinated to uh, come in or receive service, that is the right of the, the business, the private business. I would say that um, if they're trying to protect the public at large and that's their policy, so be it. You do not have to go and patronize that business. That is your right. You have a right to say, I don't want to have vaccination. And they have a right to say, we don't want you unvaccinated in our business or around other customers who are vaccinated. But that also begs the other question. If we have a lot of vaccinated people or majority of the society vaccinated and you have a segment of the society who chooses to be unvaccinated if the unvaccinated are amongst the vaccinated what do they have to fear right because the vaccinated are quote-unquote protected so i don't know it's it's it would make you think you know there's uh some uncertainty there, some gray area. I'm not quite sure what it means exactly. I mean, more research needs to be done and uh, we need to flesh that out and find out what exactly is the ultimate end game here. And lastly, one thing I want to also mention is... um, Something I don't think was really focused on too much in the news and the mainstream, which is billionaires such as Bill Gates, who isn't a scientist, who isn't a doctor, all of a sudden spearheading a campaign to rush vaccines to Africa, to the continent of Africa. Now, we know Africa has the world's youngest population uh, per capita in the world and is growing and has all of the world's natural resources, all the gold, all the diamonds, all the minerals, all the aluminum, all the platinum, all the ivory, all of the whatever natural mineral resource there is that the world needs, which makes all these other first world nations wealthy, comes from Africa. And yet here we have, during this pandemic, a billionaire, quote unquote, philanthropist Bill Gates saying we need to rush vaccines to Africa we need to test it on the African people um why why are you in such a rush to go to Africa and inject all of these black people quote-unquote black people with this man-made uh quote-unquote uh vaccine what is your agenda there Because one thing we have to be sober and conscious of is I don't personally believe that there are too many wealthy elites out there who generally give a damn about the world population in general and in particular God's chosen people, black people on the planet, quote unquote black people. I don't see that. History doesn't bear that out. We can't even get social justice, but they're concerned about our well-being. We can't get criminal justice or accountability, 
but somehow they want us to stay alive. They want to inject us. I don't believe it. I don't buy the argument. Something else is going on. And time is going to reveal that. But at the end of the day, I'll leave you with this. God's ultimately in control. So until next episode, this has been Steve Jobber for The World According to Us. Stay tuned.